Let's do it. Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us calls? So That's right. You go ahead and give us a call. We'll get you right on up to the top of the list, get those questions answered for you, and point you in the right direction. There you go. Should you happen to think of something after the show goes off the air at That's 11 right. o'clock or maybe during the week next week and you need an answer to a question, mm-hmm. you can always visit the website, get your questions answered there. Mm-hmm. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, even when he's on vacation. That's right. <laughs> He'll answer your question for you and get it back to you. That last cruise ship we were on had a pretty decent internet connection. A lot of times, if you've ever been on a cruise ship and tried to log on the internet, it's, oh, it's about 100 yeah. times slower than dial-up. <laughs> <laughs> you can literally see the lines filling in on your screen. Yep. This one was pretty good. Uh, it was uh, actually uh, relatively high. It wasn't quite as good as being at home or being at the office, but it was it was pretty good. Well, so for was, a ship, it had to be. It was. I was able to get those answered without too, too much difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> too much time off of vacation. Oh, geez. Huh? I, I see where it takes 20 minutes to retrieve one email and answer it. Holy on, moly. On some of them. Yeah, it can really, really be tough. Yeah, uh, just go ahead and give us an email, and we'll be glad to answer any questions you might have. And while you're on that site, you might want to look around. Lots and lots of good information on there. We've got way over 1,000 vehicle, vehicle questions. questions already been answered. Right. And the detailed topics have been updated today? Oh, yeah. Every Saturday morning, 6 a.m., one goes on there. One on there we just put on this morning on how power steering works. It's a very interesting article. Yeah, a lot of folks kind of sort of maybe think they know how power steering works and well you turn the wheel and you put fluid in it <laughs> turn the wheel in. and it works <laughs> it works <laughs> but if you really want a little bit better explanation of what's actually going on when you turn the wheel and that really becomes an issue when you have a problem for instance right. let's say you turn the wheel one direction and it steers just fine turn the wheel the other direction and it's hard to turn okay what's the problem or let's say you're driving down the road about 45 miles an hour, particularly in a Jeep or a Ford or a pick Land up, Rover. Pickup truck. And you hit a bump, and you get what they call death wobble. That's, That's where the whole truck starts shaking so bad you can't hardly control it. And the only way to really get it to stop is actually stop the vehicle. Yeah, come down. Once you start taking off driving again, right. it'll go away. And I've seen thousands of dollars wasted oh, yeah. on parts and oh, stuff yeah. trying to fix that problem and not ever knowing what's wrong. This article will explain to you what's going on there. So good article. Pop on there, read it, see what you think. Tons of other information on there. You can get a free Agco t-shirt by playing the Agco Auto Quick Quiz. Right. Find out information on just about any topic you might even remotely have interest in. And that way you know how things work. Mm-hmm. And when you're at a repair shop and you're being explained what's going on, right. you have knowledge in the back of your mind that you can apply well, to what you're being told. And in some cases, you may understand. have superior knowledge to what you're being and told. <laughs> <laughs> Which will help you with that as well. Exactly. <laughs> It'll help you to spot a true professional and a jughead a lot right. easier. So you'll know if somebody's giving you a line of bull or whatever. But tons and tons of information on there. Pop on there, see what you think. www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines. Gerald, good morning, Gerald. Yeah, look, I got a Volvo with that uh, non-serviceable transmission. They said uh, it needed to be flushed, and I just I wanted to see what you had to say about that. It doesn't have a fan on it, doesn't have a filter, doesn't have anything. I'm not sure, Gerald. I don't work on European cars, so I can't tell you what it is. It could be, is it a CVT, or is it a real transmission? Oh, that's a uh, 
CVT, I guess. It's front-wheel drive Volvo. Yeah, I have no idea what a Volvo has in it. They don't make their own transmissions. They buy them from somebody else. But it may be a CVT, which is a constantly variable transmission. It's not actually a real transmission. It's a a couple of rollers and a pan with da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, on those, rather than a flush, what I would recommend, if it is indeed what you're saying, is what they call a double drain and fill. And that is going to be less expensive than a flush and a lot less intrusive to the transmissions. In other words, Hondas are built sort of the same way. They don't have a pan on them and the filter's built inside the transmission. So what you would do is to drain out the three quarts you can get out of it, refill it with the fresh Honda fluid, go drive it for about 10 minutes, come back and immediately do the same thing again. And what that does is that when you turn it off, the fluid runs back for the torque converter through the filter, which washes it out. And if you immediately drain it, you can get the trash out that way. Right, because it's still suspended in the fluid. Right. What happens with a flush is that the engine is running and they disconnect one of the cooler lines. So all you're doing is putting fresh fluid in one end and dumping it out the other end, but it's still running through the filter while that's occurring. So whatever trash it's picking up, it's putting it into the top of the filter. Right, plus it's stirring up more trash. Right. Not only that, but that probably is going to take a specific fluid, which a lot of times with a flush you do not get. What you get is a Dextron 3 run through it, maybe maybe if you're lucky, with some additives in it. So I don't like the word flush at all, period. Usually anybody that uses that word is not going to be the kind of people you want to deal with. I know GM just came out with a big old bulletin telling all their dealers, do not flush our transmissions, period. Yeah. And I'm waiting for more people to do it. But I would first research and see what transmission you have in there. I'm not familiar with Volvo, so I just can't tell you. But it may be that it's a transmission made by someone else. If it's a CVT, it's going to have a specific fluid for it. And normally just doing a double drain and fill is going to do you much, much more good. Okay. And at okay. a lower cost. Okay, sounds good. Hey, I thought, well, how about one more question? Sure, huh? go ahead. I got an old Chevy diesel. What do mm-hmm. you say about fuel additives on a diesel? The only additive that I use at all, Gerald, or recommend is Stanodyne. Now, that is an excellent product. GM, Ford, and Chrysler, all three recommend it. All it is is a high lubricity formula. It kind of puts back some of the lubricants that they've stripped out of the diesel fuel. And we keep it at the shop for people. If, if you need some, I've got it. If not, you can find it at almost any decent truck shop. You don't use a lot of it. I want to say it's about four ounces to 30 gallons, and you don't even have to do it every time, about every other tank full. So a bottle of it will last you close to a year. It's 11 or 12 bucks a bottle. It's not really expensive, but that's the only additive I would put in it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's everything I got for right now. Okay, Gerald. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Al online. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Louis. Yes, sir. I've got a 1996 Ford F-150. About 50,000 miles. Wow. Low mileage. Yeah. Leaks transmission fluid between, I think, around the torque converter. Yeah, Al, that was fairly common on that one. Okay. Ford had what I call a defective seal, huh? and there was like a gray seal that they used, and they later came out and replaced it with a red seal, and I might be backwards. It might have been a red seal replaced with a gray, but okay. they did update the seal, and okay. what normally happens on that, on most of them we see, is it may not leak for a while, right? but then you'll go, like, say, from here to Hammond and back, and when you come to a stop, boop, it'll puke a bunch out. That's right. Yeah, it gets hot and it does that, and then you put some more in it, and it may go a while before it does it again. It does, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a weird deal. Uh, <laughs> we fix those quite a bit, Al. It's okay. not too big a deal. Just you got to pull the transmission out, and you take the torque converter out. you got to inspect the neck on the torque converter, make sure it's not chewed up or right. cobbled up. There's also an O-ring behind the pump, and there's another little seal in there, but 
you can do the whole deal in probably it's about a four or five hour labor job, so it's not hugely expensive. And then you know, a new seal and fluid. If it hadn't been serviced, go I would probably service. recommend going to service it at the same time. Okay. But right. uh, we do them all the time. It was just a bad design. The new seal seems to fix it. Uh, we've okay. never had one have any trouble after we've changed the seal in them. Well, that's great. All righty. It's my question. All righty, Al. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. That used to be an extremely, extremely common issue, and it was back mid-'90s, early-2000s. Right. I guess they've put the newer seals in the newer ones, so you don't see it as much. But the trucks would do it. The Taurus would do it. Fusion, the Tempo, all of them. Mm-hmm. And you would drive, people would come in, say, from New Orleans. Right. Just any kind of a decent drive. Come to a stop and kadoosh. Yeah, all the fluid. <laughs> that fluid thing, would it would out. dump two or three quarts of fluid out, big old puddle, puff of smoke. And a lot of times the car would quit moving. Yeah. And what was weird is if you were smart enough to go get the right fluid, the Mercon 5, dump it back in there, you could generally drive it on off. It might drive around two months for it to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, it was a strange deal. Yeah, but and normally that's the fix is putting the, the right seal in there. Right. Being the truck, the transmission is in the back, oh, yeah, so you easy. just take, and right. take it out. But your front-wheel drive car is a lot more complicated well, to get transmissions yeah, out Yeah, I mean, it's the motor sitting there sideways. The engine is off to the left-hand side of the vehicle. you got to pull the drive axles out. Many times you have to drop the exhaust. The you engine have to drop cradle. Engine cradle. Right. It's, control it's a pretty arms. in-depth. Yeah, it's a much bigger deal on a car. On a truck, you pretty much pull the dry shaft out, some mounts, and it's, right. it's, it's not a walk in the park. Slides but out the yeah, back. If you got a transmission jack and all where you can support that weight, it's not too, too bad to just slip it on out of That's there. That's the ideal thing is you're on a twin post lift with it in the air with all the correct tools. Right. Yeah, laying on your back in the driveway is probably about a four-day job. <laughs> I've, I've walked a few out yeah. on my chest before. Yeah, a four-day and about a two-box of Band-Aid job. But yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. Uh, we've got Maynard on the line. Good morning, Maynard. Yeah, look, I got a question. I got a 2007 GMC pickup truck. Okay, sir. And I just bought a, some of that upper cylinder yep. fuel treatment. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of answered my question partly with the other guy there. Uh-huh. But do you recommend Lucas? No. Uh, okay. No. On a gasoline engine, Maynard, I would not put any kind of additives in it at all, particularly on a newer vehicle like a 2007. Those have a algorithm in the computer where it senses the fuel. That's how the flex fuel works on it. And any kind of additives you put in there can really screw with that. Not only that, it's just not going to do any good. I know they claim everything under the sun, and I'm not picking on Lucas because it's every one of them. They claim all this wonderful, wonderful stuff it's going to do. You can get better mileage. You can do this. You can do that. But it just doesn't work. Countless tests by reputable people done, and every one of them come to the same conclusion. It does no good, and it can possibly do harm in some cases. And if okay. it was really that great... The engineers would already have it in yeah, there. Yeah, they'd be putting it in there. Because they've got to meet a CAFE standard. That's right. So if they can get more gas mileage by adding this product yeah. to the vehicle, they're uh, going to do it. Yeah, right now, I mean, they're spending millions of yeah. dollars trying to get tenths of a mile to the gallon. Okay. You okay. Know? I so, guess I may have to take this stuff back and get my money back. Yeah. Well, what about my wife's Honda? She's got a 2007 and... Mm-hmm. Also, my daughter's got a 2005 Honda yeah, Civic. Same exact same thing, Maynard. If you just okay. use a name brand gas, I tell you, the, the absolute biggest favor you could ever do for yourself, don't go to these no-name gas stations because uh-huh. they all have base gas. Uh-huh. And I've had this discussion millions of times with folks, but they'll say, oh, gas is gas. No, it's not. You have uh-huh. base gas, but then the additives that they put in it is what makes it a unique product. Uh-huh. They add all sorts of things to the gas before you buy it. And saying, well, all gas is the same except for the additives, like saying all people are the same except for the personality. Uh-huh. You know, and, and under that 
definition, then Adolf Hitler's the same as Mother Teresa, <laughs> except for their personality. You know? <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and spend a few pennies more, buy name brand gas, and you can forget everything. Forget all the well, injection flushes we, and additives and all that stuff. Okay, speaking of that, mm-hmm. we burn only Exxon Good 80, 87 octane. Good product. Mm-hmm. Working That's any cool. of them. We don't, they don't recommend a high octane, a low octane is pretty good. Not required. You could try okay. it, try a tank full of two and see if your mileage increases enough. Some vehicles, you will get enough better mileage with the higher octane to justify the cost. Uh-huh. Most, you won't. You just got to do the math and see. Just depends okay. on the car. The engine can run the timing a little higher with the higher octane, so sometimes your mileage will go up, but most of the time, not enough to pay for the gas difference. Okay, one more question. Sure. Uh, what's the proper way to check your mileage anyway? I tell you what, I have got that on my website. If you go okay. in and just type in, like, mileage, the word uh-huh. mileage under vehicle questions, it'll give you a detailed explanation of how to do it. Okay. All right, buddy. All righty. Thank Appreciate you, man. Info. Yes, sir. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We got to take a quick little break. Carl, if you want to hold on, you'll be straight up after the break. Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we're glad to try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? That's right. Now's a good time to call, too. <laughs> yeah, I've been out on vacation for a couple of weeks, so give us a call. I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We got Carl online. Good morning, Carl. Yes, sir. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Yeah, I was calling. I had like a 2000 aluminum. Okay. 2001 aluminum. Yes, sir. Starter, when you get in it, and turn the switch it down, and it, it won't do anything, but I can start it underneath by the starter with, like, a screwdriver or something. Yes, sir, if you right jump up. across it, it'll go ahead and start, okay. but if you turn the switch, it won't. Yeah. Try mm-hmm. this, Carl. Next time you get in there and you hit the key, hold the key over in the start position, and it's not going to be doing anything. Reach over, grab your shifter, and shift it down to neutral while you're holding the switch over. Okay. And if it starts to crank immediately when it hits neutral, then the part called the park neutral safety switch is bad. That's fairly common. Now, if it does not crank even when you shift to neutral, then okay. you're more likely going to be into something like either the switch itself is bad or you could possibly have a wire that's loose or whatever. But now, try that and see if that doesn't do it. Right. And well, that is, the, the, now that it did that and I'm starting it from the start, well, I said now the little security thing blanking off and on, they were saying about the key, something was now it just keeps flashing 
Well, if you got a security light on, that is possible right. that it's disabling your starter. But see, if the security system was armed, it wouldn't start even if you cranked it. It would just crank and die, crank and die. Okay. So security light is probably not going to be the issue with this. It no, could, no, it just did that once I... Well, and see, that could once. be because you started it with a, with a screwdriver. Okay. See, it okay. didn't see it go through the switch like it wanted to, so it may have set the security system because it thought somebody was stealing the car. Okay. When the security system's armed, it will not start. It shuts the injectors down. It shuts the spark down. And what it'll do is it'll crank up and die, crank and die, crank and die. Well, I did this thing. did this uh, a couple of times, uh, and I've been driving like uh, it did it once. Mm-hmm. did it before like that one time, and mm-hmm. and once it, it did that, I've been driving like six or six months and hadn't did it, yeah. and all of a sudden it did it again, you right. know? Right, right. See, you may have a bad spot in that neutral safety switch, and just when it happens to hit that spot, it's going to do it, and if you shift it a few times, it may not. But try that next time it does it. If it starts when it goes to neutral, then that switch is going to be your problem, and that's okay. not too hard to change. That, is that the switch where the key go in? No, no. sir, that's going to be the switch underneath the car on the side of the transmission. Okay. Now that that cylinder you talking about where the key goes in, that is strictly a cylinder. There is no ignition power there. Right. It actually turns a rod, which moves the switch that's further down the column. Right. Oh, okay. Because I had told someone that told me I needed to. I just can't go by everything. You got to watch who's to... telling you what, buddy. That's it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> People tell you all kinds of things. But yeah. Look, 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 man. Where are y'all located, man? I'm trying to. Eleven four ten Corsi Boulevard. That's on Corsi Boulevard, one block west of Sherwood Forest. Oh, okay, then. All righty. I appreciate it. Okay, Carl. Thank, Thank you, man. You. All right. Bye-bye. Right. If you want to be part of the automotive, right, we'd love to have you. That's a relatively common problem we see. And what happens, there's a bypass switch on the side of the transmission that keeps you from starting the car in gear. Right. Which Keep would be you. dangerous. Right. So it's got to be in park to start or in neutral. And most people never, ever, ever shift to neutral to start. So that switch never wears out. But the one in park does. Right. And the way to test that is just hold the key over to start and then shift it, and when it hits that neutral switch, if it starts cranking instantly, then you then know, you know the, that's it. Right. The, because the, if you let off the switch and restart again, you may be jarring something in there, so it may be a coincidence. But if you just hold it to start, shift it, and while you're shifting, it starts to crank. Right. You know the park connection the is, mm-hmm. is burnt out in the switch. Right. And so, it's all one switch, so that's right. you got to change the whole piece. And sometimes they call it a manual lever position switch. Sometimes they call it a park neutral safety switch. Just they call depends it on who built it. That's right. They, they, <laughs> me and names for the same park. That's it. <laughs> Let's go back to the phone lines of Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Morning. I just bought a 96 Chrysler LHS. Uh-huh. And when I bought it, it was overheating. Uh-huh. And I changed out the thermostat. Okay. And it ran fine for a while. Uh-huh. I'm on the way home from work yesterday. Uh-huh. It starts overheating on the interstate, and it shuts down. I can't even get it to crank now. Chris, you were driving down the interstate when it started to overheat? Yes, sir. Okay, well, you're into a pretty big problem there. Cars overheating issues depend on when they overheat. Like, if it overheats when you're sitting in traffic, you're probably mm-hmm. into some kind of an airflow issue or something like that. The fan's not moving enough air through the radiator or whatever. However, when you overheat going down the interstate, you got... 50, 60, 70 mile an hour wind blowing through that radiator. So it's not going to be anything like that. There's two possibilities. The simpler of the two is you've got a partially plugged radiator. And what can happen there is that it can cool under certain conditions, but when you've got a load on it, like pushing that car 70 miles an hour down the interstate, it starts to generate more heat than the radiator can get rid of. And so it starts getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And the further you drive, the hotter it will get. That would be one thing. 
The second thing would be a blown head gasket, which is extremely common also on that car. And that would be from overheating previously. And each time it overheats, what happens, those aluminum heads expand. Those steel head bolts don't stretch, so it crushes the head gasket. Then it's okay. not going to start leaking necessarily right then, but maybe six months down the road. It's right, start. the car been sitting up for a while when I got it. Yeah, and see, that makes all that makes it worse. Chris, that's kind of difficult to diagnose if it's intermittent like that. But we can do what they call a hydrocarbon test. That's where they can test the coolant for hydrocarbons being present. If it comes back positive, it is absolutely either a blown head gasket or a cracked head or a warped head. Now, you can't tell which without taking the head off, but kind of a moot point. The head's got to come off regardless. If right. it comes back positive, it doesn't mean it's not. It just means it's not showing up right there. If it comes back negative. Yeah, if it comes back negative, I'm sorry. Right. If it comes back positive, it definitely is a positive. So the only way to know 100% for certain is pull the head off and pressure test it. But I can tell you that car is fairly notorious for that problem. So <laughs> if uh, probably what happened is it got hot and the computer just shut it down. That's why it, it won't run right it now. It should have set a, a code in it history. It will have a code in history for, for that. Overheat. Will it still not start? It won't start. It'll turn over. It will turn it over. Sounds okay. weak. You know, it sounds real weak. It it may be on the point of locking up. Yeah, could have really caused some other serious issues. You know, when you start overheating, man, it's it's amazing. A lot of folks don't realize how much damage occurs when you overheat a car. Old days, cars only ran 160 degrees. And, and what cast iron heads, yeah. cast iron blocks. And you know, what right. we called Steel overheating bolts. was 220 degrees. We thought that was overheating. But these cars run 220 degrees. So when they're overheating, they're going like 260 to 270. So they are really, really hot. And I mean, right. the pistons will gall up in the cylinders and turn over slow and all. You may have some serious engine problems there, Chris. I think what I would do is have that car towed to somebody that you really trust and have them check it before you put a penny into it. Because if the engine's gone, you may just say, hey, it's time to bail. And you don't want to go spend a bunch of money on other stuff and then find out the engine's gone. All right. All righty. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, part of the automotive hour. We'd love to have you. I know that ain't what he wanted to hear. Well, it's not. And that's, boy, I tell you, that is just more and more and more we're seeing blown head gaskets, cracked heads. Sure, sure. To the point, I think back probably 10 years ago, we were doing one or two of those jobs a year. Right. And now we probably do one or two a week. (laughs) Yeah, three or four a month, easy. Yeah, I mean, we got two of them in there right now. Right. And part of it is the fact that the cars are using a lot more aluminum as far as heads and all and have been for years. Another part of it is that cars have high mileage on them for the most part now. Mm-hmm. Just because with the economy being like it is, most folks don't just go run down and buy a new car every three years like right. they did at one time. They're so, hanging on to what they got. And, you know, it's, for the most part, they're paid for already. Right. But a lot of cars have 150,000-plus on oh, them, yeah. and they're more susceptible to this. Another thing I think, and I don't know how to tactfully put it, but people just don't tend to take warnings as serious as they used to. The thing starts going up, and they just keep on driving it. We see that a lot. Yeah. We I mean, really the temperature gauge is pegged over, and they just keep on driving. Yeah, I had one come in the other day. The lady pulled in the driveway. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, just spewing, and, yeah. I mean, the gauge is pegged over, and the little chime is going ding, 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 ding. And she says, well, my car's making a funny sound. Well, yeah, it's about to cook, you know. <laughs> she shuts it off, and I said, well, it's probably not going to restart. Right. What do you mean? I said, well, you probably damaged the engine. That car was extremely, extremely hot. She went back out, and that click, 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 it had locked up. That was yeah. as far as it was going to go. Yep, so, it was done. 
When a car starts to overheat, man, that is a major, major issue. You can't just keep on driving it. Well, you can, but yeah, you, you can, got to get another you're car. Gonna, you're gonna have to deal with the consequences. <laughs> yeah, and you know, engines are extremely expensive nowadays. It's not like when you used to be able to go get an engine for fifteen hundred bucks. I mean, oh, yeah. you Some can spend five, six thousand bucks on an engine pretty right. easy. So you're going to total most of your cars. Uh, sure, if it's an older car. A ten year old car. Yeah, it's just not worth putting an engine in, so you basically be calling Saint Vincent de Paul and yeah. hauling that one off and just take this <laughs> as an expensive lesson. <laughs> hey, we're gonna take another quick little break, but we'll be right back with more in the automotive hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Huh? Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Back, you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tuning to us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Eric online. Good morning, Eric. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good. It's actually not my car. I'm calling about my sweetheart's car. Okay. Just a couple of days ago, I ain't been able to get down and, and look at it, but mm-hmm. she's been saying that she got a 2000 Nissan Maxima. Mm-hmm. Whenever she, she gets out of it, parks somewhere, she comes out maybe five, ten minutes later, she's got, like she says, like a half gallon of water on the ground. I'm not sure what that might be. Well, Eric, what you need to do, take a look and see if it's just water, clear water. That's what she says. And it's over on the right-hand side, kind of under the passenger's feet area. It's probably just air conditioning dripping, which is normal. Uh, That's what I I told it could be just. That's what I told Yeah, now, uh, if it's green, then it's going to be antifreeze. Now, that's a whole other deal. It'll have a distinct smell and a distinct Kind of a sweet smell, and it'll be a little greasy or oily, and it won't dry up. It'll leave the puddle will stay, and it won't just dry up and go away. If it's water, it's going to dry up pretty quick. And, two, you can look at your reservoir. If the reservoir put the antifreeze is low, well, then you got a leak. But if that reservoir is full and the spot just goes away on its own, it's probably just the, the air conditioning. See, what happens, the air conditioning removes moisture from the car. It removes humidity. That's how it right. makes you feel comfortable. All that water in the air is dripped out under the car. That's where it gets rid of it. So that is normal, if that's what she's talking about. She said that wasn't doing that before. So I don't know. She, she may just not have noticed it. See, yeah. particularly, like in the winter, it's not going to do it because the AC is not running and the humidity is much lower. But on a day like today where it's hot and humid, oh, it'll leak. A, it's going to be a big old puddle under the car. Right. So she's thinking back three, four months ago when it was cool. Yeah, it probably didn't do it, not nearly as much. Or if it did do it, it wasn't enough to notice. But just see, the key is, I think, if the puddle goes away, like if it leaks in a driveway, but then the next day it's gone, right. then it's probably nothing. Because antifreeze, if it leaks, it's going to leave gonna a stay. spot and it's going to stay there. 
Right. Well, that's all I had to ask. All right, man. Okay, Eric. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Hi, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. Let's go ahead and give us a call. I've got an article on the website under detailed topics, which goes into detail on the physics of air conditioning, how it works, how the pressure differentials cause the refrigerant to boil and absorb energy and so on. But air conditioning works by removing heat. In other words, it doesn't produce cold. Right. It actually removes removes the heat, heat from the, the humidity. car. And the heat being removed leaves cold because the absence of heat is cold. So uh-huh. that's the cold that you feel. But it also removes a great deal of humidity. And that humidity is dripped under the car in the form of water. Right. And I mean not a little bit of water. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes on a day like today, it almost a steady stream. Yeah. And if, if you don't think so, just let that little drain valve plug up and see how long <laughs> it takes to get a lake inside your car. That's it. It'll fill that footwell up in a hurry. Oh, it will, man. It'll make a big old wet spot in your car an inch deep in no time flat. Because that oh, yeah. water is, it, your air's got an awful lot of humidity in it. And when it's removing it, that's what's going on there. And that is a perfectly normal function of the car. And when it quits dripping on the car, then you got a problem. <laughs> right. It starts dripping in the car. Well, that's one thing it can do, quit dripping in the car. Or, you know, if it just quits dripping altogether, you're going to get hot real fast because the air conditioning is not working. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, that's something. We get a lot of questions about that. And folks will look at the car and say, well, you know, if, if let's say they bought the car six months ago. Uh-huh. Well, when they bought it, it was cool out. Right. And the humidity was fairly low, and they just didn't notice it. But now in the last couple of months when – in South Louisiana, it's 100 degrees every day, and humidity is 95 to 100%. You're going to definitely see a big old puddling there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and real, real soon. So one of the things to kind of look out for. Now, coolant leaks is when the antifreeze leaks out. Now, that's going to be a whole different matter. Right, because that system is a sealed system, mm-hmm. and it's only going to fluctuate in the reservoir depending on the temperature of the engine. Well, it'll go up when the engine's hot because the coolant expands. And it will go down when it cools off because it'll take it back into the engine as it contracts. Right. So when you check it, always check it at the same temperature. Right. You check it first thing in the morning, it should always be the same level. That's right. At that temperature. That's right. Or familiarize yourself with the two marks on the reservoir. They're generally going to be a hot mark and a cold mark. Uh Uh-huh. And as long as it is between those two marks relative to the temperature of the car, in other words, it should be closer to the hot mark when it's hot, closer to the cold mark when it's cold. But it should be between the two marks all the time. Right. It should never be below the coal or above the hot. If it's below the coal, then you've got to leak somewhere. Right. And you may not notice it running out on the ground because it can leak in several places. It'll run off on the engine. The heat of the engine will actually absorb the moisture. Yeah, it'll boil it it away. And it'll it'll just stay there on top of the engine. You get that a lot. Sometimes a radiator will get a very small leak in the one of the tanks or in the core. And it'll just trickle down across that core. Of course, you've got a big old fan sitting there sucking air across it. It's going to evaporate. It's not going to ever hit the ground unless it's, right. it's got to be a pretty significant leak to actually leak all the way to the ground. It will leave a, a trail. Sometimes it will leave like a little calcium-looking trail. Yeah. Another place they leak that doesn't reveal itself quite as easy is like when the water pump leaks a lot of times. Same situation that it may leak out of that little weep hole, and the fan is blowing on it, so it blows it back on the engine, which is... 200, 200 plus degrees. degrees, right? so it just balls it away, and it never drifts to the ground unless it gets pretty significant. Of course, there are also other places. Chevy pickup truck, the 2001 to 2006, they had defective cylinder heads, which will crack. 
those heads will crack after about 100,000 miles or so, and mm. it will start leaking coolant, and you will not ever see it. You just keep losing coolant. It leaks it into the engine. Leaking into the engine oil. Right. And I've had a million people tell me, oh, no, it's not that because my oil's not milky. Well, modern oil has dispersants in it, and it has detergents in it. It's not going to turn milky. Well, by the time it does turn milky, yeah. you've wiped the engine out. By the time it turns milky, you've probably got four quarts of coolant in it, and... See, you're not talking about water either. You're talking about ethylene glycol. Correct. It will mix with that oil. And by the time you will see it in the oil, you probably wiped out the lower end of your engine. Oh, yeah. So We've that's, actually changed an engine because of that. Well, yeah, a couple of them uh, cause severe sludging in the engine, and it can definitely burn up the bearings, burn up the cylinders, burn up everything else because ethylene glycol is not going to lubricate that engine. Right. But that is one place that it goes, and you will not ever see a trace of it. One other place that we see a lot is, like we talked about with the earlier caller, is a head gasket being blown. Uh huh. And sometimes when a head gasket blows, you may get coolant into your oil. Other times, you may get oil into the coolant. Just depends on where it blows and which one has That's the right. most pressure. Other on times, it. you may get no coolant loss at all. You may get something else, another simple. Sometimes the coolant will leak to the outside, drip on the ground. Sometimes it'll just burn up in the engine and go out the tailpipe. Right. In which case, you will not see a coolant loss. That no. catalytic converter is going to vaporize oh, yeah. it and blow it on out. That's right. Now, you're not even going to smell it. Yeah, you're not going to smell it. You're just losing coolant. You don't know where it's going. And the next symptom is check engine light pops on. You got an O2 code, so you put an O2 sensor in it. Next time it pops on, you got a bad catalytic converter. Put a catalytic converter on it. Well, then, bam, O2 code pops up again. And what's happening, that coolant's going through the exhaust, which is wiping out the catalytic converter. Right. It's just a vicious circle. Oh, yeah. And many times it'll start overheating on you not too long thereafter, if not already, and you'll start getting overheating issues. So it takes some pretty sophisticated techniques, I guess, to really find those sometimes. If they're bad enough, they're pretty obvious. You do a right. hydrocarbon test, it may come back immediately. But I've done a lot of hydrocarbon tests, come back negative, and still have a blown head gasket. Right. Just didn't We've- show up at that particular moment. We've so, actually done pressure test. You can just pressure test the coolant system. Mm-hmm. And if you're losing pressure and you don't have any coolant leak on the outside of the engine, right. then you got to get start digging further. That's right. Take the valve covers off. And you know check one thing that, like that I've noticed, too, you can put pressure on it. The pressure will start dropping off. You crank it up, and it misses and sputters for a few seconds, uh-huh. and then it clears up. Because what happens, you force that coolant into a cylinder, which is fouling that spark plug out. Of course, after it fires a few times, it'll burn it on out and blow it out of there. Right. And it'll start smoothing out. But that's another way you can identify them. And you get enough coolant in a cylinder, you're going to hydrolock the engine. You can. Or bend a rod or, you know, you're going to damage the engine internally. Yeah, no matter what, it is not going to get any better. No. It's going to get real serious real fast. That's it. (laughs) Hey, we got to take a quick little break. James, hold on. You're going to be straight up after this break. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. (laughs) But you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh. 
With the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alcland, president of Agco Automotive. Got my co-host, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? We've got several minutes left. Be glad to try to get you an answer and help you out. We've got James online. Good morning, James. How are you doing today? Doing great, sir. Man, i got a question for you. You ever heard of these chips you put in yep. these pickup trucks? All the time. Yep. Do they nope. help with demolish? <laughs> nope. They don't? Nope. No, it happens. You end up, you end up with check engine lights on and all kinds of other issues. James, what they claim, and I've seen all the the stuff. We take them out. You know, we got to go back and reflash them and take them out all the time. If the car makers are under mandate, they get fined for every vehicle they build that gets less than a certain amount of mileage. They are spending literally millions of dollars for one tenth of a mile increases per gallon. Right. It is absolutely in their vested interest to give you every possible mile of the gallon they can get. And if they could just change the programming with a chip, don't you think they'd be doing that now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like everything else. Man, they can make it sound so good, and the Internet's made that a thousand times worse. That junk's been around since I was a oh. little kid. Man, back when carburetors uh, were around. Oh, yeah. Were... You remember that old story that used to go around? Also, this guy invented a carburetor that would get 100 miles a gallon, and all companies bought it and locked it away because they didn't want you to have it. All right. that old junk been going around for the last 100 years. But, no, there is no chip or, or magnet or additive or anything that you're going to put in a car it's basically just physics, James. It takes a certain amount of energy to move a certain amount of weight, a certain speed, and a certain engine design. Right. And the only way to change that is, a, number one, slow down. Number two, lower the weight. Number three, change the type of vehicle that you got completely to a totally more efficient engine design, which is not possible. But the way you put it in there or the, the additives you put it, it's not going to affect it. Okay. Well, that's just wondering. I, I've heard some. Cause all kind of problems, man. We take them out all the time. We got to go back, reprogram. Sometimes you got to end up putting a new computer in it because check engine lights on. You right. know, all they do is screw up what the car makers put in there, and you may get a slight gain under certain conditions if you are willing to sacrifice the engine to do it. In other words, I can right. lean the engine out, get a little bit better mileage, but I start burning holes in the pistons. Okay, how about those uh, K&N air filters? Absolutely will not give you any better mileage whatsoever and may damage your airflow meter. Okay. It's absolutely impossible for an air filter to give you better gas mileage. If an air filter were restricted, it would not change the gas mileage at all. It'll cut down the power, but it can't. You think about it. If you restrict the airflow, what happens is that the computer just restricts the fuel by the same amount. It keeps the mixture fixed. you got an air meter there that's... Mm -hmm. Detecting the amount of air that's coming in, right? Doing the process and adding the amount of fuel for the amount matching, of air coming matching in to the air. So that's it. If anything, a dirty air filter will give you slightly better fuel mileage. Yeah, okay. Like you said, it's going to cut the now, power. I'm back. not advocating dirty air filters because you know, when dirt gets the engine, it wears the engine out and it will cut right. the power down. But it absolutely cannot give you better gas mileage. Well, that's what I needed. To All right. <laughs> now I tell you what, James, if you do want to get a big increase in mileage. For absolutely nothing other than a change of the way you drive. Go on my website. I got an article on driving for better gas mileage. 
with a very slight change in driving style, you can pick up three, four, even five miles to the gallon. Sure. In fact, I proved it on my own truck. I went from about 15 up to almost 20 in town just by changing the driving style. And I've got it chronicled in an article in there that tells you exactly what you need to do, and I guarantee you that'll work and won't cost you anything. I heard that. Thank right. you, man. Okay, James. Bye-bye. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Donna online. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Morning. How are you today? I am great, ma'am. Good. I have a 2006 Avalanche Chevrolet pickup. Mm-hmm. I took it to the Ford place, mm-hmm. and I'm still having the same problem, and they charged me $2,000 to fix it. Okay. Then you take Whenever it back to them and tell them what's going on. Well, they don't <laughs> They don't understand. They've changed the calipers. They've changed the yeah. brakes. Yeah. They've changed. Yeah. What kind of problem are you having? Whenever you, whenever I don't live far from where I work, so when mm-hmm. I drive up, mm-hmm. it smells like it's burning on the pass on the driver's side, the okay. back side. Yeah, mm-hmm. like. probably got something sticking back there. There's a number of things that can cause that, Donna. But I mean, if you spent two thousand dollars with these people, you need to go back and say, "Hey, I still got the same problem. I gave you two G's. What are you going to do about it?" But it doesn't do it all the time. Well, it don't matter. It does it sometimes? Oh, That's what you okay. brought it in for and paid them, ain't it? Yeah, well, I was just wondering if there was some oh, yeah. thing that you guys could say. That oh, they I could tell done. you all kind of things, but you know, I don't know what they've done or what they hadn't done, or if they did anything right that they did do. But see, it's got diagonal cross braking on it, so something like master cylinder adjustment, a caliper, a caliper slide, yeah, a bad brake hose. Yeah. yeah, did they put them on right? Did they, use, did, they use a good, did they use a good part? I'm not a mechanic. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, okay. you're either going to have to go back over there and scream and holler until they fix it, or you're going to have to find somebody else and bite the bullet and pay somebody to fix pay it for you. somebody else. Yeah. Okay, well, that's what I was, I was thinking. I may bring it to you guys. Yeah, I mean, we can diagnose it. We can fix it for sure. But if it's getting hot, if you can smell. It smells like burnt rubber just on one side. I tell you what I would suspect. You say it's the right rear? Yeah. I would get them to pull everything back down and make sure you don't have a rear axle seal leaking because that, that is absolutely critical on that. Yeah, but I don't know if they know what, they, what they're doing. Okay. But okay. rear axle seal will leak. You'll get just a little bit of oil in that thing, and, man, it will, a little bit of oil will make a whole lot of odor. Okay. Because the other day when I uh, came back from work, I drew, mm-hmm. uh, come back under my carport, mm-hmm. and I had a puddle of oil, but it was red oil. But it was on the other side, the one that doesn't smoke. Red oil is probably yeah. going to be transmission fluid. Are you sure it was oil and not like coolant because the coolant is orange in no, that vehicle? this was oil. Yeah, I'm, that, that'd be transmission oil. Now, C2, you could have a transmission leak, and it may be blowing back on the exhaust, which is on the right side, which and would definitely cause that. Yeah. And oh, it's okay. burning up on the right side, so you don't see it. But on the left side, it's not burning, so it's dripping. Right. Okay. So, yeah, transmission a leak. The wind under the car is going to blow it back to the back. And like I said, the muffler and all is on the right-hand side. So back there, it's going to burn. If it's fanning out going back to both sides, it may burn up on the right side, but the left side doesn't burn, so it accumulates and starts dripping. Oh, That okay. would make all the sense in the world, too. Mm-hmm. Transmission leak. Okay. Could very well be. And that needs to get taken care of real fast, Donna, because what will happen if that thing keeps leaking fluid, it'll end up burning your transmission up. So you okay. could take a $100 problem and turn it into a $3,000 problem pretty fast. Okay. All righty. Cool. Good enough. Okay, Thanks for Tom. my question. Thank you, man. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Go ahead and give us a call. Still got a few minutes and get your questions answered. Yeah, we see that a lot, a misdiagnosis. What happens a lot of times, you go into a place and the service rider listens to what the customer says. The customer says, well, my brakes are burning. So he sends it out to the shop and says, fix the brakes. Right. 
Well, the mechanic gets a ticket. He looks, and maybe the brakes are worn. Maybe he sees something, whatever. So he redoes the brakes completely. The customer gets $2,000 repair bill back. Still got the same problem. And it all started out when the complaint was taken. Because what should have happened, rather than I got a brake problem, is tell me what the car is doing. What are your symptoms? I've got a smell in the back of the car on the right side. Okay, well, that opens up a lot of other possibilities. Sure, sure. And if the rear seal is leaking on the drive shaft, it's going to fan back, and it's going to get on both sides of the car, but the muffler's on the right, so you're going to smell it on the right side. Sure, because it's going to burn up on the exhaust. That's right. And if he's just looking at the brakes because he thinks it's a brake problem, but nobody ever established it was a brake problem. Right. So that is the danger in going in and asking for a service. Don't ever diagnose the car yourself and go in and ask for a specific service because you'll end up with these kinds of problems. Sure. In the best shops, they're not going to accept that. They're going to drag the complaint out of you. But in a lot of shops, they're just going to accept what you say, start looking at that, and you may end up spending two grand with the same problem. Right, because they want to get that car in and out and collect your money. That's right. So best off is go in and give them the symptoms. This is what it's doing. I am smelling something burning in the back of my car. Right. And you just got a better chance with that. We got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. What's up, guys? Hey, man. Good morning. 2004 Denali XL GMC. Mm-hmm. Got the big six liter in it. Yes. And I've, I've had computer head controller problems in the past. They changed their controller out at a, at a shop here in town, a big shop. My back air is blowing cold. Okay. And no, I, I believe my compressor is good because that's the big. Yeah, if the back is cold, Mike, the compressor's working because only one compressor runs both of them. Right. It's right. a split system. And, yeah, I'm not getting any blower out of the front. Right. It doesn't uh, blow at all or it just doesn't blow cold? No, it won't blow at all. Okay, I'm okay. going to tell you what to tell you what you got. Yeah, it ain't that. There's a part in there called a blower transistor module. That is going to be burned out. But now that's not the problem. That's a symptom. The reason it burns out is because the blower motor is pulling too much amperage. And what happens is that that motor starts pulling more and more amperage as it gets a little older it burns out the transistor. What most people do is go pop a new transistor and it lasts about a week and burns out again. So right. what you got to do is get somebody knows what to do and let them measure the amp draw on the motor. It's going to probably be up around 20 to 25 amps on startup, which is way too high. It should be around yeah. 6 to 8 amps. And it burns out that little transistor. A lot of times it also melts the connector that goes to the transistor. We call that a GM number one Happy Meal. Oh, uh, Lewis, you guys fix that at Edco? <laughs> oh, All yeah. day long. What's that, what's that run just about? It's pretty high. It's pretty high because those parts are expensive. It's only about an hour labor on the whole job, but the parts are pricey. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know it's, it's on up there, five 600 bucks. Y'all changed uh, the motor in the there? The motor, the transistor, and usually the, the, what the you call the pigtail also. Right. We'd have to inspect yours and see, but that's almost always what that is. What's your location again, buddy? Uh, 11410 Corsi Boulevard. 11410 Corsi. That's just, right. Just hit the website. Yeah, go to our website, agcoauto.com. Man, got any piece of information you could ever think about you, in there. You can get a map there from anywhere in the world. That's right. I appreciate you, man. Okay, man. Thank right, you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we have squandered another perfectly good hour. That's it. That's it. We've got to get on out of here. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week also, and right. tell all your friends so we can get some more people listening. That's right. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.